Hi and welcome to Traveling Inside Out. This is Alina, your host. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you for joining me in a new episode of Traveling Inside Out, the podcast about exploring the world within and out. Thank you for subscribing or favoring my podcast and I would appreciate it so much if you would leave a review on iTunes. Thank you. Today's episode is coming from UK via hmm, Japan, New Zealand, Australia. <laughs> You're going to understand what I'm talking about in a moment. But I have to say that once again, I have never met this person, nor have I changed many words with her before actually uh, having the interview. So I've actually just had a feeling about Becky because we are in the same Facebook group. And I think for uh, my listeners who have been listening to this podcast, for, this podcast for a while, they know that I really like to talk about the challenges um, that happened during or after traveling. And this is what caught my attention because she brought up one subject that I really, really like to talk about, about the cultural shock of uh, being back home. Uh, I really enjoyed this interview because, as I was saying, I didn't know who she is. I didn't know much about her. And I loved uh, having a conversation with her. It was It's so lovely every time when it's happening, when you meet someone, even if it's just virtually, and you see you... you even though you had different experiences in your travels in your life and still some things are so, so similar. This is actually one of the reasons why I love traveling is to see no matter how far away or close I am, I'm still going to find people who are my kin afterward. So with no further ado, enjoy this conversation. Hi everyone, I'm Becky and I'm from the UK, but I've spent most of my life pretty much trying to be anywhere but the UK. So originally I moved to Japan to be an English teacher, uh, spent a year there teaching over a thousand seven to nine year olds how to speak really terrible English and they taught me how to speak really terrible Japanese. So in the end, it all worked out pretty equal. Uh, after that, I decided I wanted to travel forever, and I did that thing where you decide to go to Australia, where the wages are high and there's a lot of potential. Um, and Australia ended up being the worst thing I've ever done in my entire life. I have no regrets, and I wouldn't take 18 months back and start again and do something else with it because I learned a lot about myself, but there is that. And then I came back to the UK for a little while before moving to New Zealand for the last seven months of this year, which basically has grown me as a person more than I ever could have asked for. So incredibly thankful for that experience. And I've been back in the UK for two months, pretty much waiting to decide on the next goal of my life, which I will, will be working towards from this point onwards. Uh, that's a little bit about me. Uh, if you want to know anything else, I'm generally to be found 
taking pictures because I'm a photographer, reading Harry Potter because I'm a massive Potterphile, and <laughs> petting every cat that I meet on the street. <laughs> Sounds perfect. Thank you for joining <laughs> me, Becky. <laughs> um, I love the fact how you started that. Uh, so you are from UK, but you spend most of your time trying to be outside of UK. Why is that? And I'm guessing this happened way before the actual politically, like whatever is happening now that I don't necessarily want to get into. So I guess yes. you started that way before. So tell me the reason behind that. It was. It did happen before that. I don't really... I'm not sure as of where it comes from. It's something that's ingrained deep inside of me that knows that the UK is not my place. It's not my home. I don't generally see home as the place where you are, the place where people you love are, the place where you were born. A home is a place of how it makes you feel. So mm -hmm. it could be anything. It could be a moment for me. And it's always, it's always changing. But Yeah, like it's been so many years now and it's solidified every single time that I come back to the UK that I know that this is not my place and this is not where I want to be. So then I have to pick next place and use my experience and adventures and discoveries from there. And I haven't found the place yet that has basically spoken to my heart and gone, I'm the one for you, stay here forever, <laughs> try and figure that out. <laughs> so we're still on that walking path, but... Eventually, I'm crossing my fingers to get there. Hopefully, I'm. I totally understand what you mean um, because I kind of feel the same. Uh, so I had a seven to eight months traveling, like solo traveling through South America, and I really thought that that trip is going to basically make me realize a little bit better where I want to stay put. Naha. Uh -huh. <laughs> Yeah, just, the, the whole journey of um, yeah, go no. here and you will find yourself and you don't find yourself. You just see another facet of your personality. And yeah, and then you to want the to, one. you want to, yeah, exactly. You want to do more. You want to discover more. You want to travel more. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I'm curious to know first why do you travel so when you start traveling maybe not necessarily outside of uh, UK maybe you traveled a little bit inside of your country as well before traveling outside I don't know so why do you travel I travel because it's it's something within me but I think it mainly boils down to my penchant for change constant change all the time is the only thing that really keeps me going I seem to stagnate in a position where I have monotony and I have the same banal routine day in day out and it just drives me crazy so I, while I was traveling New Zealand it got to the point where I'd pick an Airbnb to stay or I'd be in a hostel or I'd be in a place for a specific amount of time maybe three or four days and it would take me by the probably the, the second half of the second day to feel completely at home where I was and then by the third or fourth day I was ready to move on again I was like cool this is my four days done in this place drive half an hour drive an hour drive three hours I'm in the next place and I'll do the same thing again and it was that constant motion of change like apparently I'm just a wave and I'm up and down cresting and falling each time to just feel on a constant sense of comfort rather than just being like On a, on a straight line so it's just something that is 
ingrained in me as a person and I've only come to learn it over the last few years but I'm just not comfortable unless I'm moving and evolving constantly which probably makes me sound like a really intense person but I'm, I'm so not I'm just I'm just <laughs> as happy sometimes just sitting alone by myself and not speaking to anyone all day and drinking coffee and reading Harry Potter but that also makes me ashamed of my own self so <laughs> I guess I'm quite complicated in that respect um because you mentioned the uh, the need to, uh, the need of change basically and you were mentioning earlier about um how you perceive home uh, like the like the place that it makes you feel like home not necessarily a specific location i used to say um that my home is actually the public transportation and i was like yes <laughs> like that's my home i feel the like i feel probably the most comfortable when i am like not from one location like not in a specific location while i'm getting from point a to point b that's my <laughs> that's my comfort absolutely one. i completely understand where you're coming from there because it's just i don't know the the excitement of the open road like you're on you on any transport that you're on you could be on a bus you could be on a plane you could be on a boat you're going somewhere so maybe somewhere that you've never been before or maybe somewhere that you have been before so mm-hmm. you get into the point where there's something new to discover or there's an old memory to kind of rehash and reconceptualize so it's just you're always looking forward to something rather than just like i said earlier just kind of stagnating in your own existential dread <laughs> <laughs> and because we were talking about the comfort zone i'm really curious to know what does it mean to you and if it's important to basically uh, go outside of the comfort zone for me personally i am never comfortable unless i'm out of my comfort zone um but i understand that or i've come to understand in the last few years of my life that not everyone feels that way so it's hard to kind of really pull myself back and empathize with other people even such as my mom or my sister who live a completely mm-hmm. different lifestyle to me and they have probably what is a regular societal norm of the sense of a comfort zone where they just they live their lives they have the house they have their jobs or whatever they have children whereas my sense of a comfort zone is exactly the opposite like i've just said it's just that constant motion that constant change just feeling somewhere new and that is home to me so i feel like everyone should get out of their comfort zone as often as possible and just really throw caution to the wind mm-hmm. uh, or as i say i like to say idioms wrong all the time by accident mostly but uh, instead of <laughs> using a proper one i usually say stop something stupid like throw a hat at the wind which was one that i kind of made out of three different idioms whilst i was in new zealand <laughs> become my favorite one so i like to throw a hat at the wind on a mm-hmm. regular basis and uh, the wind generally takes it it could be next door or really far away and that is my sense of comfort zone wherever my hat lands So then because you are saying that it's important for people to get outside of the comfort zone and what I realized um or in my opinion is that I strongly believe that people should uh totally go outside of their comfort zone but I don't think that uh people are built to live 
outside of their comfort zone. So it's okay to challenge yourself in order to understand your boundaries, but maybe not go always, always only outside of your comfort zone because then that adrenaline rush, let's say, if I can say like that, and apparently yeah. it, um, at some point is going to, it's like, it's the same how if you take painkillers every single time when something hurts, at some point you're going to need two instead of one because your body is like already adjusted to that. So I think it's the same. One thing is to go outside of the comfort zone and another thing is to live outside of the comfort zone. So how do you feel about those two? Absolutely. I think that comes down to, it's whatever the foundation of your personal comfort zone is. So, Mm -hmm. and you start from there. So if you have a very low bar of a comfort Mm -hmm. zone, which is basically just, living your everyday life and going to the same job every day and then taking the weekends off and enjoying time with your friends you getting out of your comfort zone is going to be massively different to someone like me who my comfort zone is constantly being on the road and constantly wanting to be somewhere Mm -hmm. different I have to throw the bar way higher for myself as a person to even escalate that to even be considered as out of my comfort zone Whereas if you go back to the person who does have that low bar, that's a massive change for them. You can't expect someone who's never left their hometown before to be comfortable traveling to India tomorrow and thriving yeah, in, that, yeah, yeah. in that environment. So it's, it's kind of the difference of figuring out where your own comfort zone is. So no one should ever fear that as a principle saying, oh, you need to get out of your comfort zone because it depends what getting out of your comfort zone constitutes to you as a person. And it doesn't have to be scary and it doesn't have to be anything enormous and it doesn't have to make you want to lose your mind and scream about it. But yeah, I think figuring out what your comfort zone is and then learning how to push the boundaries of that is is definitely a good way to live your life. Yeah, I love that. So then would you share with us uh, what are some of your challenges, uh, let's say when you travel or when you want to really challenge yourself now after you already have the experience that you told us about uh, going into Japan, to Australia, to New Zealand. So now what would be something challenging for you? Um, for me personally... Go to- yeah. Yeah, I'd love to go to India. Honestly, I would probably die. <laughs> I, the problem with challenges for me personally um, uh, is that challenge usually finds me. And mm. uh, the most part of the time that I was living in Australia and the reasons that I kind of briefly touched on earlier is that it was the worst time of my life. Uh, not necessarily anything to do with Australia as a country specifically but my entire experience it was just one challenge after another and at the time I dealt with that and the person I was with in the best possible way and we just faced adversity and we conquered but it breaks a tiny piece off of you of your soul every single day you go to the mm-hmm. point where I was just broken down into such a small tiny piece of myself by the end of that trip that I needed to take like a whole six even reevaluate what I wanted and who I Mm -hmm. was as a person and then 
really start again and then just have that healing process so as much as traveling and adventuring and being somewhere new gives me life and helps me thrive it's not someone who is looking at it on social media would maybe take a look at my pictures and I am a photographer so I'm really good at making my life look amazing and incredible like I'm having the best time <laughs> of my life but honestly on a day-to-day basis I'm just living the same life as everywhere as everybody else I'm just doing it in a different country I'm still doing it in work and I'm still having the same stresses and I'm still having anxieties I'm just doing it somewhere that looks a bit sunnier than where someone else might be at or a bit beachier than someone else or there may be like a mountain in the background or something but I'm still facing challenges and they still affect me as a person and they still break me down a little bit each time and then I have to build them up again just the same as everybody else so even if you live in a world where you're facing these constant challenges and that it's fun for you it's still hard at the same time so I this is so great that you said that because this is something that I kept trying. And I'm, honestly, I think this is one of the reasons why I don't get so many followers is because in my travels, I am, of course, I'm also showing the positive side of traveling, but I'm also showing the negative or like, I don't know, maybe the, the challenging part in which I feel tired. I feel alone. I feel, as you were saying, anxious and I really, really believe that not so many people are doing that. Um, it doesn't matter why. It's just on a, like, if you, statistically speaking, there are not so many people talking about this side uh, of, let's say, traveling or, as you were saying, experiencing life in another country. And I also believe that basically, in um, the way that you said, the fact that you are experiencing exactly the same thing is just that you are maybe doing it in a prettier place or in a place where a lot of people want to go or they aspire to live or whoever knows whatever, yeah, their, how their dream is. But um, it's important to mention the, let's say, the challenging part of moving into another country or just traveling there and so on, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not, I think people tend to avoid it. It's not necessarily the most fun parts of researching for a trip, knowing, wanting to, like reading someone's blog and hearing how Mm -hmm. they had a terrible time um, getting their van flooded in Australia and how it was the worst week ever. And it puts you in a negative place. So people don't necessarily want to read that and hear that and see that. But like, I, I do think it is important and there is, an audience out there and not a lot of people do it like you say but I, I've made a point over the last year or two to try and share as many of those stories as possible onto uh, onto my blog and across my website just kind of because after the fact once it's been like six months or a year the rawness is gone so I can come at it from a different angle and I do try to make it sound really comedic and all the horrible horrific tragic things that have happened to me especially in Australia were really terrible at the time but I can come back to them now and I can tell the story and people do kind of get wide-eyed and think that is really awful but it's also really hilarious at the same time and I'm sorry that that happened to you and you sound terribly unlucky but I'm glad that we got to share this little anecdote and that's something that I can take back from it now and I do enjoy telling people about all the horrific things that have happened to me over the years in my traveling times. 
But yeah, I totally agree. You need to distance yourself, not necessarily physically, but you need to distance yourself a little bit from those events in order to be able to tell, as you said, as an anecdote. Um, I lived in uh, Tunisia for five months at some point in my life. And I kept saying to people that in those five months, I felt like I lived five years. And that's only because of all the experiences. It was hard to live there, but it was amazing and it was complicated and it was beautiful. So all basically rolled, were like rolled in, in one amazing experience. But I am always, always, always going to mention um, every time when I'm, when I'm saying about my experience or something bad that I went through, I'm always mentioning that's what happened to me. It doesn't, matter, it doesn't mean that that's going to happen to everyone. Like if I was harassed in Lima, it doesn't mean that everyone who goes in Lima is going to be harassed. Like that's not, no, it's just unfortunately happened to me because things happen and so on. So I always like to, to mention this because I've got a lot of questions and I know this is one of the probably the most asked questions when it comes especially to females like solo female travelers where yeah, is it absolutely. a safe like where is it a safe place to travel and i'm always telling to people there's this is this is not there a valid question no place yeah, there's no there's no safety <laughs> This is what I'm saying. There's no safety. And because of that, everywhere is safe. Like, honestly, <laughs> you can't, like, you can predict some things. You just need to have a common sense. You just need to listen to your basically inner self. And then you're going to be fine. Like, don't put yourself in danger for no reason. But also have a basically, I have a friend that she says, wherever she goes, she has a two steps escape plan. Which means yeah. <laughs> if something goes wrong, what can I do in two steps to get out of there or to be found really fast? So it's just like, you know, figure yourself out and so on. Yeah, and it doesn't matter where you are because anything can happen in any country. I mean, Japan is one of the safest places in the world, but still anything could happen there. You could just be that one unlucky person mm -hmm. that something happens to you there. Same as for my experience in Australia, I was just unfortunately that one person that everything bad that could have gone wrong did go wrong in the whole time I was there. So, but mm -hmm. then everyone else that I've ever met that's spent a working holiday in Australia or even so, even a certain amount of time there, I'm the odd one out because people love it. They can't get enough of Australia. They want to move there. They want to live mm -hmm. there. They just think it's the best place in the world. Like I'm... <laughs> I'm the black sheep of the uh, Australian experience. So it honestly doesn't matter where you go, who you are, what's happening. Just as long as you have a sense of yourself and what it takes for you to be happy and you, but you have a bit of logic and common sense on the road, then whatever happens will happen. And you just kind of have to use the experiences and learn from that. Speaking of using the experience and learning from that, um, would you like to share some of your traveling mistakes that you've learned from? Like, it, it doesn't need to be very, like, I don't know, very deep or like, if you feel like sharing something, like a concrete example of a mistake. Yeah, I do actually have quite a lot, but I'm, I also <laughs> realized recently that I'm a person who will try anything twice. So 
Um, okay. Did, <laughs> I'm a glutton for punishment, apparently. So <laughs> in Australia, I did do the farm work for the second year. So I worked on a blueberry farm. And uh, mm-hmm. the whole story is, is, uh, is, is very broad, very convoluted at the end. Uh, so I don't really have time to go into it. But it was a tragedy, basically. It was very tragic. Um, mm. But even so, what I learned from that experience is that when I moved to New Zealand, I wanted to give the whole inverted commas farm life thing another try. So I did it in a different way. So I didn't get screwed over by some shady farm worker picking blueberries in Australia. And I worked for a lovely family in New Zealand on an alpaca farm. And that gave me one of the most cherished memories and experiences of my entire life because I was able to witness the birth of a newborn alpaca. And <laughs> so, And it was a crazy situation because I was there with a friend and the elders of the farm had gone on holiday for that week. So we'd only been there for four or five days and we'd been given the overview of what to do on the farm. And no one expected one of the grown alpacas to give birth because alpacas are pregnant for 11 months and they didn't know the conception date. So according to the the rest of the family, she'd been pregnant forever. So we didn't know what was happening. Mm-hmm. So, so as law as it goes, lo and behold, as things normally go in my life, as soon as they went on holiday, she decided to give birth. So we turned up to the paddock and there she was. And then the baby was there. And we had to wrangle the baby and basically force my fingers down his throat to get him to open his mouth so we could bottle feed him and make sure he did a wee. Like we just stayed in the paddock until <laughs> six, six o'clock in the morning and made sure that he was all right until we could go home and have a sleep and then come back give him a fit another feed every two hours and make sure until he was we made sure he was feeding off his mom but like as horrible as it was at the time and I was panic stricken and it was so stressful and I was like I don't know what I'm doing but at the end of the day like it went fine and now I, and now I've had that experience where I've done the most out of the box or ordinary <laughs> thing and I've like helped birth a baby alpaca into the world so like I couldn't have asked for a better experience than that. And that came off doing farming again. So one of the worst times of my life was farming blueberries in Australia. And one of the best times of my life was birthing an alpaca on a farm in New Zealand. So I like to do things twice, apparently. But that's, that's, a, that's a great thing because don't you think if you wouldn't have tried again in New Zealand, then you would have kept that... The, bad memories from Australia and then in your mind would have been that no this is farming in a in a foreign country is the worst thing ever and I'm done with it and then you went actually you were like no I'm gonna try it again and then you went and you completely changed uh, basically your view or let's say you balanced your experience right yeah and I, I obviously learned from my mistakes the first time and, mm-hmm. and then the second time did it much better so I found myself thinking recently the horrible thoughts of uh, thinking that I'm going to be able to do van life again because I made every single mistake in the book the first time when I bought a van and traveled around in a van. Um, but I just keep finding myself coming back to the images in my head where I want to do it again. But I know that this time, through all the mistakes I've made, I don't have to do that this time and I can learn from that and I can make better decisions and therefore this time maybe I will have an amazing experience and decide that Mm -hmm. doing van life again was the best thing I've ever done so 
it, I don't know where it comes from. Maybe it's just something personal to me. Maybe I just like to torture myself and punish myself. But <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's just that I like to feel like I'm successful in every in everything that I try. So all of these things that I've failed at in my life, I want to do them again and do them successful this time. So this is Maybe a very positive yeah this is a very positive way of seeing it instead of thinking like i i like to do things twice no you like to do things until you succeed at them and then Absolutely. it just happens that <laughs> second time when you do them you actually succeed you don't need to do it in five times basically yeah that's <laughs> such a good way of looking at it yes i didn't fail that was just step one and then i just yes, carry on exactly. until i've had success in that thing <laughs> Um, so again, because you you were mentioning these three countries where you lived before, how does it feel uh, to adjust to a new culture? Because I mean, okay, Australia, New Zealand, they are kind of let's say cousins of uh, UK. Yeah, but they're easy. Japan, they're Western. They speak English. Yeah, but then Japan, it's not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of look back on that experience as thinking there was. I probably couldn't have thrown myself out of my comfort zone more than that when I did that, but it didn't come from that reason. I wasn't thinking of myself as so brave and so confident and I'm going to do this really hard thing that no one thinks I'm going to be able to do. It really wasn't that. I mean, I've had an obsession and an interest in Japanese culture and since I, I don't even remember. I, I grew up watching mm -hmm. Card Captain Sakura and all sorts of <laughs> anime programs and reading manga and things like that. And learning so much about the in-depth history of geisha that it was just always in my mind that I wanted to go to Japan and then at some point I figured I could go and be a teacher in Japan and like their the jobs are really lucrative and I have an English degree and I so I just took a TEFL course and that's what I decided to do after uni and then there was nothing that could have prepared me for how much I was going to love being there and love the culture and have such a passion for the life that I was leading and it, it taught me a lot about myself because as much as I thought I knew about myself I was going to learn so much more because I was just thrown into a melting pot of culture that is Japan which like mm -hmm. is probably so super scary to some little English girl that has just never really left the country before even though I've been on like a few holidays and things like that I'd, I'd mm -hmm. never been anywhere further than Europe and I couldn't have been going anywhere further away from my hometown and my home country and everything that I'd grown up in life knowing to somewhere like Japan but I did have I suppose I did kind of have a head start in that I'd been learning Japanese a uh, business language at university for two years mm -hmm. um, which amounted to nothing in the end because my Japanese language <laughs> skills are so abysmal And even after learning Japanese for two years and living there for a year and then kind of trying to scribble up my vocabulary since, and even to, even to this day, I like, I, I, I watch Japanese shows all the time. There's a program called Terrace House on mm -hmm. Netflix that I am absolutely addicted to and I would recommend for anyone. It's so good. Um, but yeah, basically my language skills are in the toilet and as much as I tried, it was so hard to improve them. So Even though I had that at my back, it was still hard to really fit myself into the new world that I was living in. But the odd thing about it was that 
even after the first few weeks of living there when everything had kind of calmed down and I had my routine for going to school and I and I'd met some friends and I was doing things at the weekend once I'd been there for a couple of weeks I honestly felt more at home than I'd ever felt in my entire life like it spoke to me as if I was Japanese in another life or a past life (laughs) or something like that I just it just felt comfortable and it honestly still feels like home to me today my heart lives in a few different places and Japan is still one of them and I don't think that will ever change I, I I keep saying this um, when because you you just said that your your heart is spread around. Let's say I keep saying like half half of my heart is somewhere, another half somewhere else, another half somewhere else. Yeah, <laughs> like, all these halves. <laughs> like yeah, I th- I feel like my heart expanded because of my travels. Like it's not yeah. enough. The, yeah, it's not enough. It's just expanding. It had to get bigger so you could cut yeah. off another piece and leave it in another place. Yeah. Maybe travel broadens the heart, not the mind. <laughs> <laughs> Very well said. <laughs> so now I have to ask you though, do you have a favorite sailor fighter? <laughs> a favorite what? From Sailor Moon. Have you watched Sailor Moon? Um, I never actually watched Sailor Moon. I was far too addicted to specific things like uh, so Card Captain Sakura and the, this one called Chobits, uh, which I adored. And then there was Holic, which I used to, it was basically the clamp universe. I was uh-huh. so addicted to the clamp universe that okay. I didn't really go much further afield from that uh, other than mm-hmm. Studio Ghibli. I've always been a really, really massive fan of Studio Ghibli. So now since we talk about uh, adjusting to a new culture, um, I'm curious to, to ask you, because actually this is the reason why you caught my attention in the Facebook group. Um, how does it feel to be back home? Oh, the reverse culture shock is yes. a struggle every single time. Um, I'm not sure if it's more in, ingrained deep in the fact that I have never felt like I belong here and like I'm at home here Mm -hmm. in the UK which is where I am right now so it's fresh really in my memory once again for the third time and it's solidified in the fact that I know that it's real and I know what it feels like and I know how horrible it is so as much as culture shock happens when you go abroad and you do have to integrate into a new life and um, a new routine coming back has always been harder for me. And I think it's hard for a lot of people because it does, in the, some of the Facebook groups I'm in, I'm in like a lot of uh, digital nomad groups and female solo traveling groups and things like that. And the questions do come up quite a lot, but we don't really talk about it that often. Where mm-hmm. the main struggle and the main difficulty is having to come back home and having to kind of integrate back into a routine of daily life. And especially, it's so common to be excited to come home and to and maybe your family and friends say that they they can't wait to see you and they're really excited and they want to meet up and they want to hear all your stories but then you get home and it's not that they were lying and it's not that they were disinfused it's just you realize that no one actually cares that much because we're all caught up in our own lives and we're all selfish in that kind of way so People will say, oh, yeah, I can't wait to meet you. We'll meet up for coffee. I want to hear about all your adventures. But then you never actually get around to organizing that. Or if you do, you tend to 
maybe say one or two sentences about your trip and then you move on to talking about all the banal things that are happening in the country or someone's life or what someone's kids are doing and things like that so I find that strangers tend to know more about me and my life and me Mm -hmm. as my personality than even some of my closest friends and family because you have a different dynamic and they don't necessarily get excited and sit you down in a room and go tell me everything tell me about the last six months tell me about the time where you nearly fell in the glacier tell me about the time where Mm -hmm. you birthed the alpaca or tell me about that time where you did that amazing thing that I saw on Facebook because (laughs) you feel like no one really cares and they really don't and it's not that they're being mean and it's not that they're really struggling to come to terms with it or whatever it's just it's just it's natural and you 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 have to deal with it but it does make you feel like really sad and really at the bottom of the barrel and really like you're going somehow backwards because you've just had this incredible experience and now you kind of you feel like you've taken a step back and you've come back to the life that you were in before you had that experience so it's hard to kind of really regulate that and find a dynamic between feeling like you've had the best experience and you're at the most influential point in your life with all these successes and all these things that you've done and to fight feeling like you've taken a step backwards basically um yeah I totally feel the same so I used to live in Iceland um for probably two years and a half or close to three years, something like that. And last year when I decided to come uh, back home in Romania, I kept joking. I was just saying as a joke to all my friends back in Iceland, I was like, I'm just going to go to Romania to see if I have any friends left. And I kept joking about it. But then I came back here and exactly what you said, like nobody cares that much because first of all, because of social media, they've been following my trip. They do know what I posted. So, like, what else is to, to say? You know, like, they already have seen the pictures. They already know the uh, little anecdotes from my trip and so on. Yeah. And then you realize that actually, yeah, exactly as you said, they can't actually understand what I've been through because I haven't been part uh, of their life uh, either but what I experienced it's not something that I've been through like I am kind of familiar with their life but they are not familiar with my life yeah and they can't empathize with your experience exactly, because they're not exactly. in it and they don't have the same interests you are same as I'm not necessarily as interested in <laughs> my cousins as I am of traveling and my cousins are not interested in my life because they're interested yeah, in their own it, life Exactly. You, you simply grow apart. And I actually had, I think my second guest on the show, she is what they call a digital nomad. Basically, she kept living abroad for the last four years, probably, if I remember correctly. And what I loved about um, when I asked her about how is she feeling when, when she's going back home, she said something that I was like, I really love that. So she said that she doesn't like when people are basically, even if they meet her and they're asking, so how was your trip? And her her answer is like, well, it's not a trip. It's my life. I've experienced so many things and I can't just get on all of them in like just a 
afternoon um, anecdote. And I love yes. that answer because I was like, yes, that's exactly how I felt. It's not a trip. It's my life. Yeah, it's not a trip. It's not a holiday. It's not like, oh, yeah, I had a really mm -hmm. good time. Now I'm back. Mm -hmm. Let's move on. It's like, no, I've been away for over a year. I've done so many things that I've just lived my life same as you have. And like a mm -hmm. multitude of things could have happened. It wasn't just, oh, how was your holiday abroad for a year? Like, no, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it and then you kind of get idea. disillusioned and you're like, well, I actually don't really want to talk about it now. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I think one of the things that I, I normally, or I, I used to do when, so this is different because I came back home now without an actual plan. Um, and one year later, I'm still here and I'm trying to move, move out again. Um, but I used to try to find people that have been in a similar trip like I did or for foreigners that are in my country because I felt like I can actually relate way better to uh, basically foreigners visiting my country for a longer period of time than to my friends that I was happy to see again. But then we met once, twice, and then that was kind of it. Yeah, you have to find your kindred spirits and these are the people that mm -hmm. will make you feel validated as a person so it and it can be really super lonely at times I mean for me personally I physically have two people who are close enough friends that I see often and I speak to often that I can trust with my life and my problems and my personal issues and passions and everything in between literally two people in my home country and the rest of the four five six seven as minimal as that people that are dear to my heart uh, are spread all, out all around the world. Like not one of them is in the mm -hmm. same country. Um, mm -hmm. That's a lie. Actually, three of them are in Australia, which is unfortunate <laughs> because I don't want to go to Australia again. Uh, inter interestingly enough, not, none of them are Australian. <laughs> so, so it just that. happens that they live in Australia and they, like they live in Australia and they like it there. And that's where they want to be. <laughs> But you have to put the effort in uh, and it goes both ways. So with each one of my friends that live abroad, um, we do make sure to catch up as often as possible through Skype mm -hmm. and through Zoom and through FaceTime. And the time differences are always difficult to, to line up with. But as long as we both make that effort and we both put the time in, then it's wonderful to catch up and to just kind of hear each other and hear, hear our stories and we want to talk and we want to talk about all these things that we feel like no one else understands about us and we might not have spoken for six months or even up to a year but as soon as we get to talking again we'll we'll just be there for three or four hours and everything will come out and then we'll know more about each other than my own family or my own friends back home because you do turn into a different person and you do have to find your kindred spirits around this world find people that share your passions and hold on to them like your life depends on it <laughs> because it does <laughs> yes <laughs> um i actually so as i told you i lived in tunisia and that was seven years ago and i wanted to ask you this as well back then because i told you there were some struggles and I lived in international house. So basically, of course, I met people from uh, different parts of the world. And 
we keep in touch. Even now we have a WhatsApp group. I'm, I made it possible and I made sure that this is happening. And we are not writing as often. Maybe we write once a month. But I think it's an amazing thing. Seven years later, we are still in touch. And I visited some of them in my travels. But I wanted to ask you, don't you think when you are in a foreign country, you basically get a better connection with someone else if you both struggle <laughs> in yeah. that country? Like it's a better connection if you're struggling with the culture or whatever the challenge is, other than if everything is perfect, then you're like, oh, it was nice spending time with you. But then in time, it, the, the, basically the connection is lost. Yeah, because you have something to connect to and you really mm -hmm. do kind of, ha you, be, you have a visceral bond and that's happened to me multiple times and I have become closer to people. And then you, you do find yourself kind of coming back to these little anecdotes and stuff like, oh, I remember that or a horrible thing that happened that time mm -hmm. that we shared together. And it does grow your bonds. So as sad as it seems that like you you end up being so close to someone because you shared a struggle. Like that's real life at the end of the day. And that, yeah, I do find that as well, that you do enable these strong bonds with people because you do understand the ups and downs that go with living this kind of crazy lifestyle. So tell me when, um, so when you do face the struggles of being back home, how do you keep yourself moving forward? Uh, it's actually really hard and just like anybody I sometimes find myself falling into a pit of despair but I find the best thing for me to do personally uh, that I've always done is kind of I pick a goal and I pick the next goal that I want in my life so it could be anything like when I decided okay my next after I got back from Japan and I decided my next goal is to move to Australia so this is something that I'm going to work towards And then it basically just enables you to wake up every morning, think about that goal and think, what are the next steps that I need to take to achieve this? And then eventually you'll slowly get to the point where you're ready to achieve it. And then you go and you do it. So then you get, you, you complete that goal, you come back again, you just have to keep picking another goal and it could be something tiny and it, or it could be something enormous, but mm -hmm. eventually you reach that goal and then you feel so inspired and so accomplished in that you've, you've reached that. Like I could describe myself in two, when I turned 30, I just tried to describe myself in two different ways as kind of a joke. Um, and I wrote it down. <laughs> yes. I, I wonder if I can find it because I will read it to you. Um, <laughs> Please go ahead. <laughs> Oh, there it is. So when I turned 30, uh, I wasn't actually in the best place of my life. And I was in Australia and I was by myself. Um, I was with my, um, my ex-boyfriend at the time, but uh, instead of being able to spend my 30th with a bunch of people that I loved and I wanted to have a big party with, like it wasn't in the circumstances, it wasn't possible. So we were just by ourselves, but I wanted to kind of build myself up. And I wrote this just kind of Um, in a house sit that I was doing one afternoon to make me feel validated so mm -hmm. I could describe myself two ways and one of them was hi my name is Becky I'm 30 years old I don't own anything I haven't a clue where I will live in a year my favorite movie is Moana and I'm having a pizza for my dinner no I haven't got it together And then the other one, which was, I suppose, more of a positive format was, hi, my name is Becky. I'm 30 years old. 
I've lived in three countries. My favorite 19th century influencer is Oscar Wilde. I enjoy salad, <laughs> quinoa, and the Oxford comma. Surely I have it together. <laughs> <laughs> I love, yeah, okay. Yeah, that, <laughs> it's perfect. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you can put yourself down or up as much yeah. as you want you it's just depending on like the kind of concept <laughs> that you look at your life you can be really positive about it or you can be really negative about it and I swap my options from day to day so mm -hmm. I remember how old are you now if you don't mind me asking I'm 31 so I only okay perfect like last year. <laughs> <laughs> perfect so um Um, when I basically celebrated my 30 years anniversary, I did have a party, but and I enjoyed it. It was amazing, but I felt like everything is ending because I was uh, freshly out of a relationship and it happened, like the breakup happened very abrupt. And then I was actually a volunteer in Iceland and the project was done. And then it felt like, Uh, basically it's time for me to, as you said, like to, to have it together. So when I, yeah, I was 30 years old and I felt like everything is, like every door is closing on me and I don't know what to do and so on. And now three years later, I can say that no, there were no doors closing on me. I was just basically closing my eyes and I thought that those are the doors. Yeah, you just weren't looking at the doors. The doors were all there. Yeah, Some of them yeah were exactly. Some of them were closed. <laughs> exactly um i suppose so, that's a good way to look at it isn't it just like life is a you're in a room and life is a bunch of doors and there's about 30 to 40 doors in there and some of them are open some of them are not open some of them are invisible it just depends on how how wide your eyes are open at the time <laughs> i mean honestly can you imagine alice in wonderland like if she would have had her eyes closed the whole time like damn <laughs> how much she would have missed right exactly she would have fell down a hole and she would have stayed there yeah <laughs> like no <laughs> she needed to open the damn door and have the adventure yeah exactly so tell me then um i don't know if this is something that you experience but um not necessarily or maybe when I travel as well that mostly before I travel I want to go in so many places and do so many things that I'm kind of basically sometimes sabotaging myself because I cannot keep focus on one thing so how do you keep yourself focused because you were saying you were mentioning about picking one goal how do you focus on just one goal Um, I'm kind of scatterbrained about it, to be honest, but uh, mm -hmm. half organized at the same time. So the big offset goals kind of like, for example, my, my last goal was I'm going to move to New Zealand and I'm mm -hmm. going to make sure I have enough freelance work to enable me to travel around New Zealand because it's a very expensive place as well as my savings. And I want to tick off as many, I'm not, I'm not going to call them bucket list items because they really weren't, but Uh, my Google Maps is basically just a mess of dots of pins that I've put absolutely <laughs> here on Same. and everywhere. <laughs> so my plan was to basically not have a plan because when I plan, things go very, very wrong, but to at least set myself up where I kind of, 
I had a basic foundation for what to do. So all these pins were there. I knew all the places that I wanted to see in the North Island and I knew all the places that I wanted to see in the South Island, but I had no time constraints. I had no itineraries. I had no nothing. So my plan was to just go there and enable myself to really soak up my six months, seven months as the whole entire experience. And then by the end of it, I mean, I can look at my maps now and I can probably say that I managed to accumulate and visit more than two out of three of those dots. So maybe 80% of the pins and the dots on my New Zealand map, I visited the majority of them. And if I look at it now, with all the dots on it, I, can, I can't even see any of the green that goes onto New Zealand. <laughs> so I managed to see most of them. And I also managed to see some expected, unexpected ones and have some unexpected experiences. And there's a lot that I missed. Um, but it doesn't matter because what happens, whatever happened was going to happen, case or are, and I had the best time out of it just because I let myself have that freedom and I didn't panic and I didn't have any FOMO about something that I might've been missing or kicking myself in the teeth because something didn't happen the way I wanted it to because mm-hmm. life isn't expected and going somewhere like New Zealand isn't expected. So, I mean, I suppose, for example, uh, I spent a couple of years ago, I spent Christmas in Tasmania mm-hmm. uh, and due to circumstances, what we wanted to do was have a turkey sandwich in the camper van and do the hike over Cradle Mountain, which is part of the Overland Track, which is basically the most famous uh, and popular hike in, in Tasmania. But for the entire three days that surrounded Christmas, Uh, the weather was really really bad so we basically spent Christmas sitting in the car park of Cradle Mountain National Park waiting for the weather to clear and it didn't so and we were just getting a bit depressed so we drove north to just some random place and had a nice coffee and a piece of fudge in an American cafe and played frisbee (laughs) (laughs) frisbee on a field somewhere (laughs) so it was completely unexpected and I didn't get to have that opportunity where I thought I'm going to look back on this and think I had the most amazing experience of my life hiking this beautiful landscape over Mm -hmm. one of the most beautiful mountains in Tasmania for Christmas because I didn't get that. But I don't look back on it and think, oh, I regret that because it was nothing that I could control and it wasn't my fault and I didn't make any mistakes. It was just Mm -hmm. accepting the experience at the time and then appreciating the good things that happen and not worrying about the bad things that happen. Yeah. This is one of the things that uh, when I decided to to start my South American trip, somebody told me, and it took me actually a while to, after I started, I was already in my trip. And then that's when I understood. When she told me, the first thing that you need to understand is you're not going to be able to see everything you have planned. And I was like, yes, I can. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then I realized, no, and that's okay. Because the realization it wasn't the the fact that the guy was right the realization was like the fact that it's it's okay not to see everything on your list it's uh, it's important to actually yeah like don't push yourself like crazy to just basically go 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 no let life happen and adjust Absolutely. accordingly let's say yeah it comes with experience and you do have to learn to expect that you can't just like I don't know go somewhere for a week and see a million things because <laughs> it's kind of, but you do have to balance it because you could 
plan the most amazing itinerary on paper and it would look perfect and you can think of course I can do that but then you there's so many things that you're not countering so like issues with public transport issues with the weather uh social political things that could be going on at the time and like you don't factor in these things when you literally just put a trip together and you think that's going to be fine but it honestly just comes with experience and making the mistakes and then learning to basically balance your own idea of expectation but I mean at this point in my life I appreciate the the horrors and the peril and the dramatic tragic things that happened to me as as much as the amazing in <laughs> incendiary kind of ethereal experiences that I get when I'm standing on top of a glacier as much as I do almost mm. drowning in quick mud behind a waterfall so it was terrifying but I didn't die and I appreciate the experience so thank you for that um you kind of answered throughout the the conversation but I'm still going to ask you directly to see if you if you have another answer what did traveling teach you that's a that's a loaded question traveling (laughs) (laughs) traveling I think probably teaches every single person something entirely different I mean there's all those quotes out there about like travel broadens the mind and those who don't travel read only the what is the quote uh life is a book and those who don't travel read but a page which I'm not necessarily in agreement with that one because some people don't really visualize travel the same way other people do um Mm -hmm. but in terms of what do you learn from it you learn much about especially as a solo traveler you learn much about yourself and your limits and your own personality and how you kind of adapt to certain situations and things that you find more difficult and things that you find easy and as time goes on you learn how to really kind of hone those skills and then it's always really wonderful to kind of pass those on to different people I I always really enjoy at this point in my travel travel life when I go somewhere new and I feel at home doing the things that I'm doing and I know how to set up my itinerary on google maps and I know where I'm going tomorrow and I know what to expect mm-hmm. from this or whatever uh, to share the knowledge with other people uh, or, to, or to see someone struggling that's maybe new to traveling this is the first time they've ever been on a long distance trip and they're doing it solo and they're kind of freaking out and you're like don't worry it's gonna be fine it's <laughs> it's nice to kind of be on that side of it where all the things that you've learned from traveling and all the things that you've dealt with you can pass on the knowledge to someone else and kind of enrich their travel experiences at the same time so I could probably list a million things that I've learned about myself while traveling, <laughs> but there's, there's so many of them that they all kind of mm-hmm. just jumble up into a big ball. And it's, it's basically just the answer of I've learned who I am fundamentally by mm-hmm. traveling and knowing that that is what truly makes me happy. I don't like being in the house and watching TV. I like being on a glacier up a mountain, standing there with a flowy dress on, my camera in my hand, taking beautiful pictures of my surroundings and creating something visceral that's going to be held in my soul till the end of time, because those are the moments you remember. Yeah, I I mean, 100% agreed. Um, 
another question. I, we are really getting close to the end of the interview. Basically, I have two more questions. Um, when do you feel the most lonely? Um, that one actually comes back to the same issue of coming back home and having that reverse culture shock mm -hmm. and really having to tone myself down and get back into that regular routine and being around regular people, especially, and I'm basically just from like a really boring back of nowhere town in, in the, in North Yorkshire in the UK. So there's literally nothing going on in this place compared to the bunch of amazing and terrible things that are going on in the world. Um, so that's when I feel the most lonely because I feel like I'm reaching out and I'm not necessarily getting anything back, but it's also lonely to be on the road by yourself. Like your friend was saying, being a digital nomad, because I do have experience of that myself, you're traveling around, you're by yourself, you maybe need to go to spend a few hours in a library or a cafe for a few hours to get a bit of work done. Um, which is why co-working spaces is a really good idea um, because you can be around people who are doing the exact same things and maybe uh, build a few relationships from there. But when you're doing this by yourself, there's always going to be lonely moments and there's always going to be times where you just feel like as an introvert or an extrovert, like you really need a group of friends to socialize with or someone to chat out with, like someone to express how excited you were about this particular thing or someone that you feel has just got your shoulder when you really just need to have a cry about it. So it happens all the time, but I'm genuinely the most lonely when I'm back home. And that just comes from feeling like this is not my place and this is not my home and this is not where I want to be as much as I keep having to gravitate back towards here. That's not where you belong, basically. Yeah, so th that's what's that's inside <laughs> me. That's not something I can control. So that's where mm -hmm. I feel most most mm -hmm. lonely when I'm not getting to be all the things that I want to be. So because you were mentioning introvert and extrovert, how do you see yourself? I see as myself a... as fundamentally an introvert, but I think I'm what is described as an extroverted introvert. So... I mm -hmm. can be 100% inside myself, but when I choose to be and when I want to be, I'm 100% an extrovert and I can be the life of the party if I want to yeah. for a certain amount of time, but it also drains me. I know that there's a lot of people mm -hmm. that are genuine extroverts where it really gives them life to be in a situation where there's just there's a lot going on and they feel like the center of attention and mm -hmm. they kind of thrive in that environment whereas that's really minimal for me and I can kind of do that for maybe a couple of hours and then I need to recover from it because I am an introvert at the end of the day that's exactly how I am as well and it's interesting when I'm trying to explain to people that I need If I've been um, with a lot of people or I've been in a group or whatever, then <clears throat> at some point I will need my uh, me time because exactly as you said, it's, it drains my energy so fast. Yes. And even though I, I like being with people and I like meeting new people and so on, but at the end of the day, I still need my me time. And I've just realized I had a, <laughs> I had an uh, epiphany. Um, now you, when you were answering, I just realized that I think I feel the most lonely when 
because I do love to travel by myself and I feel really happy when I get to basically decide if I want to go left or right, as simple as left to right or exactly what I'm going to do the whole day. But I feel the most lonely when I don't have someone to share my experience with. And it doesn't even need to be someone by my side, as in if I cannot text someone, if I cannot show and not as in posting online, as in actually sending my picture to someone and be like, or sending a voice message and be like, oh, I've been here. It's so amazing. I'm so happy. So I think I feel the most lonely when I don't have someone to share my happiness with. This is an epiphany. Thank you, Becky. Yes. I can take that a little bit further because actually, yeah, when I feel the most intricately lonely is if maybe I wanted to share a moment like that and maybe, uh, because social media sometimes terrifies me, but uh, if I just Mm -hmm. want to send out a message or a picture or an experience or something, and maybe I send it out in different ways to maybe three or four people, if it, it's the moment where if I don't get like a reply to that or if there's no kind of reaction from people or maybe it's something as little as the time difference where no one's even had the chance or the time to even read it yet and then I kind of feel deflated and I'm like no one cares about my life and that's when I feel <laughs> the most lonely so then it can sometimes it, it puts me in a situation where I think do you know what I don't want to share anything and I don't want to explain anything and I don't want to really put my my heart and soul out there for people to see and read and understand because that's it's a it's a part that means quite a lot to me like maybe this is a story that is really heart-wrenching and I've put it out there and there's been no response to it whatsoever and that's where I'll get hurt and that's where I'll get really really lonely and upset yeah Um, so I let's say we've reached the last question that I usually ask my guests at the end of uh, the conversation. What makes you happy, Becky? What makes me happy? Um, as an overall, I do, I do know that traveling makes me happy. Uh, but mm-hmm. as a long-term traveler, it's not necessarily, oh, I love my life to just be full of city breaks in European countries and I love to be go 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 it's not really that um but I know individually some of the happiest places that make me really feel at home I like I love to be in nature uh, and it comes it comes across quite a lot in the kind of photography that I do because I basically work with a lot of fine art surreal self-portraits and what I like to do is get out into nature and it could be anywhere. I can even do it in the UK at the points where I found like a nice forest or something. And when, when my surroundings inspire me to basically create a concept in my head, I'll create a story and I can turn that into an image. So one of the most amazing experiences for me in New Zealand was uh, in the Mount Cook region, it's Tasman Glacier. And there's just something about the entire area that just spoke to me as a person. And I ended up going back maybe eight or nine times to this same mm-hmm. spot. And the surroundings and the light and the ambience were just so different every single time. And I managed to create a, a photo series of maybe four or five different images uh, that speak different things that are really connected to nature and to me as a person. Um, And I always push myself out of my comfort zone there because I'm like, 
okay, I need to be as crazy as possible. I need to take all my clothes off and stand in the glacier or I need to like wear this big, big, I need to lug up this big enormous wedding dress to the glacier so I can do this photo shoot idea that I have in my head. And like all these ideas start sprouting out from here, there and everywhere. And I have to kind of condense them into something that makes sense. Um, but I guess there's your answer. When I'm in the farthest reaches of nature that I can possibly reach, that's where I'm the happiest. If I've hiked up a mountain for four or five hours and I've reached the summit, I, I couldn't feel any happier. And I just want to stay there, but it's not sustainable to live on top of a mountain or on top of a glacier. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, to reach my happiness is a constant trial and a constant slog of having to reach this precipice that really connects me to the places and the feelings that make me feel most happy but yeah I suppose I started that answer with traveling makes me happy but really being out there and connected to the world and letting my environment bring out the artist in me the creative in me that's what makes me happy I don't think there would have been another better way to end, <laughs> to end this. Um, and because you did mention that you are a photographer, how can people or where can people uh, find you, uh, my listeners? Um, at the moment, I'm in the midst of really expanding my website, uh, which involves quite a lot of my work. Uh, my fine art photography and also my travel photography, as well as uh, I'm connecting it to my blog, which has, which you can find if you want to read about all the amazing experiences I've had and all the tragic disasters that I've had as well. But hopefully I've mm -hmm. managed to inject enough wit into there. And uh, you can find that at beckyalisco.com. Perfect. Uh, well, that was kind of it. If you feel like or if you want to add anything else you can do so if not i'm just gonna basically thank you for uh this amazing conversation we had <laughs> me too i think it's a good point to end it on because i just kind of answered a question to myself there and i have the biggest smile on my face right now because i've realized what truly makes me happy so thanks <laughs> <that>. <laughs> you're welcome that's <laughs> perfect <been> amazing, <laughs> Awesome. Thank you again. Thank you. This concludes today's episode. Thank you for listening. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can do so by emailing to alinaswonders at gmail.com. Until next time, follow your dreams and stay true to yourself. Bye.